Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. So there were many, many more these little little pitched battles that they had with one another. And it was a pat- pattern of, you know, hard feelings that would later play out with more vitriol and more dire consequences during the war. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Justin McHenry talking about the professional feud of John Morgan and William Shippen. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Iron and Paper, purveyor of authentic artifacts of the American Revolution. Visit them at ironandpaper.com. Today, our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Justin McHenry. And he'll be discussing the lives and feud of John Morgan and William Shippen, and exactly how they shaped the Continental Medical Department. It's a really interesting topic, really neat, I think, really nice interview. Uh, And it's also one that lets us get into the politics and the personalities of the revolution. Justin will describe the Continental Medical Department in this uh, interview and in his latest article as a hot mess. And after you hear him say that, it's very clear why. So it's a compelling interview. Uh, It's a very uh, neat subject to compare and contrast individuals and decision-making, and certainly expands and broadens our understanding of the revolutionary era. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Justin McHenry. Justin McHenry, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, Brady, for having me. Tell us about your background. Okay, well, I am from West Virginia, and so I spent most of my life here in West Virginia. Um, I have a bachelor's in history from Shepherd University, and then I went on and got my master's in history from WVU. And now I am the university archivist at American Public University Systems in Charlestown. I'm currently living in Charlestown, too. So I've always kind of had a passion for history. So I've um, been incredibly fortunate to be able to, you know, work as an archivist where I, you know, work firsthand with preserving and finding and telling all these, you know, neat stories from history. What first drew your interest into this topic? <clears throat> okay, so back when I was the archives director for Franklin County, Pennsylvania, I wrote an article on a Revolutionary War doctor from there by the name of Dr. Robert Johnston. Um, he lived a you know a long, interesting life, and um, it was while researching him and uh, the medical department um, during the Revolutionary War that I ran across the story of John Morgan and William Shippen's um, feud. And so it was just one of those things that you just sort of file away to go diving down that rabbit hole at a later date. And so that's what I kind of did. I finished up that article, and then a few years later, I was like, okay, let's let's look more into these two guys and see what I can fish out. Morgan and Shippen will meet for the first time in 1761 at a pretty important event. Talk about that meeting. Yeah, so they both attended King George III's coronation together. So 
Both were young medical students at the time. William Shippen was just finishing up his studies and traveling back to Philadelphia through London from finishing his studies at the University of Edinburgh. Um, John Morgan had just gotten into London town to begin his formal medical studies. And so they were like um, ships passing in the night there in London, and they just happened to be there at the time of King George's coronation. So um, so they were there together. For, um, and so they, they both agreed that that a person in America wanting a med- medical education shouldn't have to go all the way to England and then Scotland to, to obtain it. So, and that they should, you know, have that opportunity there in America. And I'm not sure how explicit it was, but they seemingly vowed to work together towards bringing um, some sort of medical education to America. So what is sad is that they would never be closer than they were at that moment in time. And then it's really that idea that idea of you know starting a medical education in America would be the seed for their falling apart. Who were these two men? Uh, maybe give us some information about their personal histories. Yeah, sure, certainly. So both were born in Philadelphia, just a year apart from one another. Um, John Morgan had a slightly less affluent upbringing. His father was a merchant, so and they were kind of solidly middle class. Uh, William Shippen Jr. was the son of a father of the same name, and he was a the senior. William Shippen Jr. was a prominent physician in Philadelphia who had a successful practice and was kind of an influential figure around around town there. Um, both would attend like the same um, finishing school, what, what it was, um, and then afterwards Shippen would go to the College of New Jersey, which would be later become Princeton, and graduating from there, he would go uh, apprentice under his father to learn the medical trade. And then after a few years of apprenticing under his father, he would go to London to learn from prominent doctors in London before heading to the University of Edinburgh for um, his medical degree. And so John Morgan would go on to attend the College of Philadelphia, which would later become the Um, University of Pennsylvania. And so after getting his degree there, he became the apothecary actually at the school. And so he was the apothecary there for a few months before resigning and joining the Pennsylvania Regiment. And he would serve in the French and Indian War on the Pennsylvania frontier. So he had kind of dual roles as a lieutenant and a physician. Mostly he was probably best described as like a circuit riding doctor um, riding from frontier fort to frontier fort, tending to ailing soldiers, um, you know, manning those forts. And so after a couple of years of doing that, he resigned his commission and decided to continue his medical education. So he's kind of followed right into the footsteps of Shippen and who had gone a, a few years prior. So he would go to London to um, kind of study under the same doctors that Shippen would study under, then go on to University of Edinburgh and study under the same same faculty there and get his medical education. And then come back to come back to Philadelphia. So they both came back to Philadelphia to start their careers. Their rise to prominence saw them in an almost perpetual battle for credibility. Uh, talk about their 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 parallel careers if you could. Yeah, they both had it was, you know, it was funny. Their 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 paths kept crossing, and it's like they couldn't get out of each other's way, really. Um, and so, once back in Philadelphia, 
Um, Shippen got back a couple years earlier than than Morgan, so he got a head start on him. And so, and he started delivering Atomy lectures, the first such kind of medical education lectures in America there in Philadelphia, and they caused quite a stir. Um, there was a couple semi riots around him talking, um, uh, showing dissections of human bodies and then whatnot. And so I think that was this kind of the start of the animosity, just him being there two years earlier and um, created a kind of a chip on John Morgan's shoulders. And so the two of them kind of would in the decade leading up to the to the Revolutionary War there, it, they, they engaged in this cartoonish test of each other's wills, it seems like. Um, so it was, it was more Looney Tunes than anything else. It was like, you know, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny, like, battling each other. It was incident after incident of the two of them, you know, butting heads. And that, at the time, it was comical and harmless because the battle, battles they waged with one another were just that. They were just with one another. And so it was, you know, slights over the founding of the first medical school there at the University of Pennsylvania. It was, you know, kind of slights over commencement speeches and, you know, being nasty to one another in those. It was over applications to become a professor at the medical school um, and over something trivial like being listed below the other in the acknowledgments of Benjamin Rush's dissertation. So there were many, many more kind of like constant, like these little, little pitched battles that they had with one another. And it was a pattern of, you know, hard feelings that would later play out with more vitriol and more dire consequences during the war. So um, yet despite of all of this, during that same period of time, they still managed to establish themselves as two of the brightest medical minds in America um, kind of despite themselves. You write that the Continental Army's medical department was, quote, a hot mess. Um, tell us why. Yeah, well, it was never, like, there was no structure to it whatsoever um, throughout the whole war. I mean, maybe at the towards the end, there was a little bit of structure provided to it. But it was, you know, there was never an agreement of standard of care, um, never, a, like, a structuredized environment. Um, like a, a top-down system. So the, the system was each regiment had a surgeon who was wholly responsible for the care of the troops of that regiment and wholly responsible for setting up a regimental hospital. Um, and so, and they didn't really answer to anyone but the regimental leaders. And so they were also mostly responsible for their own supplies. So much of the care that they were providing was dependent upon well their credit or willingness to use their personal funds to you know pay for supplies to care for the soldiers and so also many other surgeons in the field did not have proper proper medical educations that like uh morgan or shippen had or went through so it was and they mostly maybe went through the apprenticeship system of you know spending a couple years apprenticing with someone you know kind of tangentially related to a the medical field and so because of that it was kind of a crapshoot regiment by regiment of the quality of care so you, you might get some doctors um like you know i talked about earlier about dr robert johnson he was he was you know a highly educated you know regimental surgeon at the beginning and so he would have been a good example of 
a, you know, a good doctor serving these, these troops. And then some, some people are maybe not so good. They're more political appointments than anything else. And so when they were on the battlefield or tending to wounded or uh, sick soldiers, um, you're not getting the best, best care. And so overseeing all of this was a director general of the medical department. And so there was no, there was no real command. Um, the director general was more like, um, he just issued, you know, more like suggestions for best practices which surgeons or regimental hospitals, um, or department staff could or could not heed if they wanted to. And most of the, most of the time they didn't heed it because there was a lot of resentment between the surgeons and the, the heads of the departments and the director general, just because, I mean, those people did not, the director general would, would not like go out into the field and be a part, like just see the, um, what was going on like firsthand on the battlefront or, um, in the regimental hospitals. And so in reality, the director general was more of a liaison and acted as a funnel of what supplies were forthcoming from Congress. So, which was never really that much. And speaking of Congress, they were, the last cog in this in this machine, and they would occasionally just decide to insert themselves into medical affairs with little to no insight or planning. So it was all just a bunch of piecemeal decisions that more often than not kind of riled up sentiment, either with the director general or with the regimental surgeons or most of the time with both of them. And so it was just all big um, uh, rigmarole that kind of just... Uh, upset everybody and never really pleased or benefited anybody. How did these men handle this messy situation? Yeah. So what's funny is they both had like kind of the same plan. They had the, the same, um, you know, stump speech of, you know, we need better organization. We need more, more supplies from Congress. We need, you know, better communications with regimental soldier with regimental surgeons. And so, but both kind of failed in, in that regard. And so they handled it the same way they handled any situation with, uh, with one another by complaining as loudly as possible and as, uh, and as often about the other to whomever would listen. So um, the first director general actually was uh, Benjamin Church. And so after he was selected, Morgan and Shippen kind of seemed content to offer kind of passive support to the continental cause from Philadelphia. And so and it was not until Church was forced out in the fall of 1775. And that's a whole other interesting story because he was um, he was charged with basically treason, but he couldn't be formally tried because he was not a uh, an official member of the of the army at the time. And so it was just a there was a lot of gray area there. And so they just kind of shuffled him off and told him to go away. And so because of that, Morgan was chosen to be the next director general. And then both men decided to become active patriots. And so it kind of reminds me of my kids. We have, we have this whole whole house, but no matter where I go, and if they eventually kind of end up within a three-foot radius of me at all times. And so it's like no matter, um, no matter that, you know, Morgan goes off to, to be a part of Washington's headquarters, um, it was the only eventuality that Shippen will shortly be with in his orbit at, at some point in time. And so um, Morgan as a director general was not really successful. Um, 
I think personality-wise, it was just not a good fit for him. He was um, too standoffish and really too judgmental. And so he did not equate himself um, to regimental surgeons or the department staff. Um, he was not a good ideas man. Or he was, he, oh, I should say, he's a, he was a good ideas man and an organizer. And maybe with more time, he could have succeeded in turning around things. But that time would be relatively short. Um, and so like a good example was during his tenure, there was a smallpox outbreak, I believe, in the, in the northern part in the northern department. And so instead of trying to, you know, handle the situation, he automatically just started blaming every re regimental surgeon, you know, involved in the outbreak and saying they were providing poor care to the surgeons and stuff like that. And so that doesn't really, you know, ingratiate yourself with with them or with anybody. And that's the kind of like problems he was getting into when he during his tenure as director general. Their disputes will ultimately uh, divide General Washington and Congress, uh, forcing them to take sides. Talk about that drama. Yeah, so I have no idea why, but William Shippen decided did decide to start kind of poking his nose into the medical department business. Um, it kind of took form. It, took the form of critical letters to his brother-in-law, Richard Henry Lee. He was a member of uh, the Continental Congress at the time and also a member of a kind of prominent Virginia Lee family. And so he was complaining to him about the job that Morgan was doing, um, saying he wasn't really directing anything. He was providing poor care, blah, blah, blah. And so around that same time, Shippen was made the chief physician of Hugh Mercer's flying camp. And so the flying camp was, uh, just a, I, um, it was, it was comprised of a shirt enlistment, um, soldiers, and they were mostly utilized for their, um, quickness that they'd be able to hold, help hold in reserve and be able to put into, into you know, battle and, to, uh, quickly. So this brought shipping back directly into Morgan's world. So I think it was like, it was like a six month period there where um, Morgan was kind of on his own without Shippen. And then all of a sudden Shippen just shows up by his side. Um, and so, which, you know, it, Morgan, of course, did not take kindly to. Um, he thought Shippen was scheming to get him out. Maybe he was right there um, because not long afterwards, in October of 1776, Congress ordered Shippen to open a hospital in New Jersey which started off this huge brouhaha with Morgan that eventually would escalate to George Washington and Congress with everyone taking sides. And it ultimately it would end with Morgan's ouster and Shippen taking over as the next um, director general. And so um, what this specific ordeal highlights for me is just how much kind of crap that Washington had to deal with as commander in chief. You know, I knew about all of the campaigns and handling of troops and plots against them and all of that, but um, but not before you know d diving into this did I see that like, he has to handle like HR issues like this, and it's kind of ridiculous and sheds new light um, for me about just how much was thrusted upon his shoulders that he would have to deal with. You know, these two highly educated, you know, prima donnas basically bickering with one another about. Um, who has rights to what hospital in what state. Um, and so, and that's basically what it was. It was, it was this, you know, just them kicking up drama and everybody else having to deal with it. 
Shippen will find himself eventually facing a court-martial. Why did this happen, and what was the result? Yeah, so um, so after Morgan left, um, or was kicked out, he was, um, Continental Congress relieved him of his duties, and then shortly thereafter, they appointed Shippen to be the next uh, director general. So it was kind of much of the same as Church and Morgan's tenure. He was seemingly... But um, while those two kind of played more active roles, he was very passive. So he was seemingly uninterested in the position and let kind of things play out as they always had, which served him well since he would be the director general for four years. Um, And I kind of have a sinking suspicion that Morgan was right and he only and that um, Shippen only wanted to be um, the head just so Morgan wasn't. So it was kind of petty. It was so petty and personal. Um, so sh- while Shippen was just cruising along those four years, Morgan spent that time in a one-man vindication tour. So upset is probably too light of a word for a man possessed with the kind of fire of resentment to get back at Shippen for what he had done to him or what he perceived he had done to him. So for four years, um, and think about that, like, four long just how long four years is i have a four-year-old daughter and like it seems like so long it seems like an eternity for me so i cannot imagine being so angry and vengeful for those four years but that was that was morgan he spent those four years houndingly and doggedly um lobbying congress anyone really to clear his name and also have charges brought against shipping Jar Shippen, stemming from, well, he brought, he, he had a handful of, of things that he charged Shippen with. Mostly was fraud, speculation, um, faulty accounting, neglect of duties, and um, um, uh, behavior unbecoming a, an officer and a gentleman. So in, in his campaign against Morgan, or against Shippen, he recruited Benjamin Rush to his side. And the two of them kind of hammered and hammered Congress and any and everybody until eventually they relented and a court martial proceedings were opened against shipping. And so that's when you get shipping and Morgan having to ride together um, to collect um, depositions in this court martial. And can you, I don't know, that's just, that blows my mind that they stick these two men who have been hated each other for decades now riding together alone throughout the wilds of Pennsylvania, collecting depositions from people. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible to think about, like what, what those conversations would have been like on horseback together or how they, how they, you know, talk to one another. But ultimately it would end with um, Shippen's acquittal, but his reputation was tarnished a bit. And Morgan was somewhat vindicated in receiving a recognition that he was removed for no cause. But, um, ultimately, Shippen stayed on for a little bit longer, but he resigned from the director generalship early in 1781. How do these two men's stories and their feud end? Okay, so um, kind of for Shippen, it would just be like life as normal right after the war. So he would get back to Philadelphia and continue on as if nothing happened. Um, he continued teaching and practicing teaching at the University of Pennsylvania or the College of Pennsylvania Medical School there. 
and you know continue practicing medicine um he would lead a long fairly long life um and he actually became a, a leader in midwif midwifery um uh, a stated leader throughout the throughout the medical profession and then he would pass away in 1808 uh, morgan on the other hand kind of lived a a shorter life um i think the turmoil of the war and all of that aggression that he had within him, all that um, frustration and anger that he had in him affected him greatly. And so, you know, his, his wife would die shortly after the war. Um, he would get in some legal disputes um, over land in New York. Um, he would not go back to teaching. He would kind of faded away from all of the boards that he sat on. And you get the sense that he just kind of lost the energy and zeal that he once had. And so, he would pass away in 1789. How does this help us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, I, I guess it humanizes it for me. It, it sees, you see a different set of emotions and motivations that you aren't really taught elsewhere or read about elsewhere. Um, I think the the common thing most students are, are taught are like, you know, people banding together, like, you know, the founding brothers. And so you get that brotherhood and people coming together despite their, you know, despite their differences or, you know, differences of opinions and uh, coming together for the, the greater good. But, but this kind of situation, you, you get just the opposite of that. You get two people who basically are brothers. They live so much that they live so much of the same lives that they just hated each other. And so you get that, they get a whole different set of motivations and it was so personalized um, and that it caused, you know, negative effects with the, the, the whole movement and the whole the revolutionary spirit. And it's just a, um, I, I think that's what interests me the most was just this whole different aspect of of people that, that you don't really get. Like, um, I mean, we all have enemies and we all, I guess we all have enemies, but um, people have enemies and it's, it's nice to see that different emotions and different, you know, motivations are, were present. Um, and it wasn't all just um, roses and, and good feelings. It was all, it was personal and it was petty and it was small and it was nasty and it was, but somehow, somehow, you know, they still managed to, to win this thing. Justin McHenry, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, Brady. Appreciate it. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.